The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Hey, hey, it's Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. You can find Midwest Swing at Midwest Swing Pod and Zone Coverage at Zone Coverage MN. I'm your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. And in studio today, we have Tom Schreier at T Schreier 3, the co founder of Zone Coverage. What's going on today, man? Not too much. We just recorded the second video game podcast. I'm hoping we get it up on iTunes soon. Brandon, you sat in for a little bit of it. What did you think, given that it, you couldn't even ho- hear the host? No, I, no, actually, I could. I could hear Naylor. Oh, okay. He's got a deep voice, dulcet tones. Is he in Iowa? Is yeah, that he's, he's in Des Moines. Yep. And so, no, he, he sounded great, really polished, and did yeah. a great job for someone who was remotely hosting a show, yep. like Mike Berardino used to do for this show. And I thought he was great. So yeah, George yeah, Ash in studio is a fun time. And we've got you back after a few weeks off. We thought you were going to be here last week. I showed up for five minutes. When we had Darren Mastriani in I wanted studio. to see the beard. Uh, the beard was a shock to me. And, and obviously he was, it, it, met, it, it met, if not exceeded, expectations. He was wonderful. We went well over an hour. But if people are listening now and haven't listened to last week, first of all, thank you for listening now. But we've had some really great guests lately. Lane Adams, who plays for the Phillies. Eric O'Flaherty, who's a free agent but is hopefully going to sign somewhere eventually. And Darren Mastriani, who's now retired and living in Minnesota, of all places. I don't know. I mean, we've, we've had some pretty great guests. We've got another great one today. Before we get to that, thank you so much for your reviews on whatever platform you're listening on. When you give us reviews, it moves us up charts. Gets us a little more legitimacy in the eyes of both advertisers but also podcast providers. So... Whatever platform you're on, is it Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Libsyn, Spotify, whatever you're listening, if they allow you to make a review for us, please do. Give us five stars. We really appreciate it. doesn't do anything other than just kind of give us legitimacy. And so if you like the show, do that. If you don't, slide into these DMs. Let me know what we can do better because without you, we can't do the show. But thank you for the support. Now on to today's show. I feel like that was kind of long-winded, but... We've got Ryan Turnquist, at two underscore underscore Canes with a Z, back in the mix. What's good today, bud? You've had all these baseball players on the show in these the last few weeks, and I'm probably most known for one of being one of the only kids to strike out in T-ball. So uh, <laughs> it's quite a bit of a transition here. Well, it, there's, there's no real baseline of baseball skill to be on the show. Uh, there must not be. Well, we've been talking to – we're hoping to get Corey Kosky on eventually. We've yeah. talked to Mike Trombley, who is a Twins reliever. Charlie Walters, who is a columnist for the Pioneer Press. We've got Also some, a Twins player in, yeah. like, 1969. Yeah, yeah. nice. Uh, he was briefly a Twins pitcher and then was traded during Instructional League or right after it. So we're all over the we're all over the map when it comes to baseball skill, so we're, we're more than happy to have you on. What, what's been keeping you busy lately? I feel like we've almost neglected you a little bit here. Well, it's you know when when you get Darren Mastriani on and he and he goes for an hour and a half, I'm more than happy to fall by the wayside on that one. So that's that's good. But uh, grad school's still kicking my butt. Yeah. Um, and I'm just trying. I'm just patiently waiting for spring to arrive so I can watch some baseball here. I'm you, definitely getting the itch. You sound like it was it Rogers Hornsby just staring outside the window waiting for spring to come. So I saw you there dressed you up as uh, why, why is the name escaping? Burt Macklin. For a recent outing with your uh, with your gal pal, and so how did that go? Was that you look great? You guys both look great, but I, I assume that was a lot of fun too. Well, thank you. Yeah, we went over to 
can I can I give the place some free pub? Sure. Can I, can I say where it was? I, I'm uh, it was not Black letting Tom Jack- answer. So. <laughs> Midway area in St. Paul at a Parks and Rec trivia night. So we went over there. Me dresses Burt Macklin. Um, my girlfriend Allie dresses Janet Snakehole, and we we participated. And I think we got like sixth out of like 40 teams, which is pretty good. There, it was pretty packed there on a Monday night. Well, you certainly can't complain about that. And so, obviously some big news coming out of Fort Myers here in the last couple days. Twins inking five-year extensions with Jorge Polanco and Max Kepler. Jorge Polanco, five years, $25.75 million with a couple of options on the back end. Max Kepler, five years with one team option on the back end at $10 million. Now, we've seen some deals in addition to these, and we'll talk about them later in the show. Aaron Nola and now Luis Severino just coming down the pipe today. But... When you look at these extensions, are you surprised with the two players who were kind of isolated as the the maybe not necessarily the primary targets, but the because first it, ones. Yeah, because it takes two to tango and they probably talked to a number of players. But how surprised are you that these are the first two or maybe the only two that come out of this offseason slash spring training situation? I mean, I'm not inherently surprised. I think I think it's kind of what you mentioned. I think they've approached a gr- a, a group of players um, about extension and Polanco and Kepler just happened to be the two out of that group who were maybe most amenable to, to talking extension and to talking terms. And, uh, that matched up there. Um, I do particularly like these types of deals for small and mid market teams to be able to get some cost certainty and buy out a year or two of a young guy's free agency. I think they typically have worked pretty well, uh, for teams like the Tampa Bay Rays, mm-hmm. uh, the, Cle- the Cleveland Indians, obviously, when Falvey was over there, um, has, has some experience with these type of deals. Um, so I, I do, I do, uh, I am a fan of these I, these types of deals uh, for the most part. I would how, say. How much do you guys think potential labor labor unrest is playing into this? Because, I mean. We're still looking at a lot of superstars on the free agent market, and that might be just because they're asking for too much money or are unwilling to come off the number of years that they're they're asking for. But I think the bigger thing and the more pressing thing is that the free agency middle class is being squeezed. I mean, guys like mm-hmm. Lance Lynn, who, I mean, the rumors of a $100 million deal a year ago, or two years ago, rather, and through that 2017 season, yeah, okay, he, was, he wasn't going to get that. But we would have all, I think, assumed that Lance Lynn was going to get a four-year deal for $60 million two off-seasons ago, or the off-season before this one, rather than what he had to get from the Twins and now 3-30 and 30 from the Rangers. I, the, the middle class is getting squeezed, and if Kepler and Polanco reach their potential, you don't have the Bryce Harper type of guys or Manny Machado, but they might be on that higher end of the, the you know, above the Marwin Gonzalez's and the you know, maybe in the Dallas Keuchel tier or maybe just a little bit beneath it. And so you might look at that and say, look, you know, this might really, really depress their market it, before even considering if there's a labor stoppage. How much do you think that played into these guys being a little bit more amenable to this? Because I'm, I'm assuming they were approached last year when they tried to do this as well. Yeah, I think it definitely played a role. I think they've looked at net, the market now for the last two years, and um, you start to you start to think, hey, maybe I wouldn't mind delaying free agency for a year or two. Maybe I do want some sort of, of contract certainty where I know that I'll be getting paid, you know, eight to $10 million in my free agent year instead mm-hmm. of maybe waiting for a deal. And you're seeing a lot of these players, some good major leaguers, typically relievers, 
having to settle for minor league deals that will only get paid major league or only get guaranteed money if they make the major league roster. Yeah, Jan Hervis Solarte is the latest one with the Giants in the last couple of days. Right. Right. And I mean, he, he might be borderline, but to yeah. me that's a guy over the last couple Curtis of years Granderson probably, too. Probably worthy of a major league deal. Granderson as well. Um the middle class is getting squeezed and then kind of this lower middle class of player is having to settle for the minor league deal. Um, and so I think it definitely does play a role in terms of these young guys being more amenable to signing extensions that, that maybe give up a year or two of free agency. And, and frankly, that's to, that to the twins benefit. Now these are two five-year deals and people might be like, well, why is there $10 million difference? And it's because Max Kepler's a super two. And so he, went to arbitration this or he was scheduled for it he ended up signing a deal and they bumped his salary from like three point something and change million to six million so a little more money up front like we saw with the severino deal to protect against lost wages for a potential work stoppage here in a couple years but polanco went from uh, somewhere around the big league minimum to i think he's making about three million this year it made sense to front load deals for the twins in the sense that you know where they're at financially i mean coming in under last year's payroll already. But I think it's important to note why each of these players got a $10 million gap when they basically signed in the same offseason uh, as international free agents. They have similar amounts of service time. It's just I, th- I think actually the Polanco suspension is maybe what cost him from being super two. Um, yep. But a $10 million gap is, is a big deal. Now, Al Strain, one of the guys from Twitter, asked, you know, what deal do you like better from a value standpoint or from whatever standpoint you want for me, I mean, I don't know. If we if we assess Max Kepler and his breakout potential, he's hit righties and lefties in separate seasons the last two years. If you look at the StatCast stuff that Darren Willman has been doing for MLB, Advanced Media, which is wonderful, and I, I highly recommend checking out uh, Baseball Savant or MLB Savant. I can't remember which it was. But they're showing how players play balls in six different quadrants, or not quadrants, rather, but uh, areas, uh, coming in, coming into the left, coming into the right, and then you know, mirror imaging that to the back. Kepler's turned into a really nice defensive outfielder. The bat's been slow but steady. Whereas Polanco, I think, is maybe the more safe bet, and this is maybe two of the two guys who could lead off on opening day. Um, But for me, I think I like the Polanco deal a little bit better. Not so much about money, but I just think he's got a higher floor, and he plays a little bit more of a demanding defensive position at short. And If he moves to second or when he moves to second or third, I still think I, I like that contract just a little bit better. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he has the higher floor. He's a safer bet, and I'd probably say I like that contract a little bit better, too. With Kepler, I think you're more betting on the upside, and I still think there's a, a fairly decent chance he's going to reach that upside, I think. And we've talked about this before. We've we've mentioned it. I think some people in the organization feel this way as well, that he might be a late bloomer coming yeah. from coming from Germany, coming from a place where typically um, not, not very highly developed in terms of baseball. Um, so it might take him a little bit little bit longer to to reach his full potential and i think the the twins are betting on that and even so i mean his floor of his current floor of 230 15 to 20 homers and pretty good defense is isn't isn't a an unuseful player but i think they know there's more in there would either of you guys and we'll get loop tom in here would either of you had any hesitation in approaching these guys as far as an extension because they're not i mean i guess for me polanco is kind of who he's going to be I don't think of him as a high-ceiling player. He's not going to become Francisco Lindor overnight or even ever. But he's just such a safe, stable asset that I think it makes sense to do that. But 
at the same time, you don't have to worry about him blowing up his arbitration numbers either. I just think that this stability and this locked-in cost is going to allow them to pursue whatever big deal they want next offseason, whether it's Nolan Arenado or Garrett Cole or Chris Sale or maybe someone that's a little bit further down the line, like a late-career Justin Verlander. I'm not saying they're going to target any of those guys. But just for me, I don't think I would have had any hesitation with either of these guys and, frankly, Barrios or Rosario either. I, I think the thing you got to like about the contract, aside from these guys obviously being long-tenured twins, that they there is a track record of success, although especially with Kepler, you're, you're banking on a little bit of upside there, mm-hmm. is that if someone were to supersede them, so if you see like a – you know, a, a Nick Gordon somehow take over the shortstop, or even position. Royce Lewis, right? And that's yeah. that's that's where I was going to, right? The Lewis, the Kirloffs. If um, if they were to supersede them, Kepler, I think, could be justified as a fourth outfielder at least, like t- taking a different role with the, the team. The fact that he can play center helps that case. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, take a different role with the team, and the money is not a burden. Uh, similar thing for Polanco. The other thing too is it. It seems like a tradable contract if mm-hmm. if you get to the point where they're being bumped off the roster or you need to get <laughs> good, another position. Good, good problem to have if you have too many guys who are good. Right, exactly. Um, Ryan, as far as you, any hesitation for either of these contracts? Or I mean, Facebook is is Facebook, and so we know what it is. But there's a twins group I belong to, <laughs> and I feel like 75% of it was, what the heck, why are they doing this? It, waste of money, too much money. And I'm just thinking, what are you guys even on? This doesn't make any sense. Well, I got to say, Facebook is Facebook, so we know what it is. It's probably the most insightful thing you've ever said on this podcast. Dumpster meets fire. (laughs) Um, No hesitation on these deals at all, specifically with Polanco. I mean, you think about Eduardo Escobar was making, what, $5.5 million the last couple years on the bench for the Twins. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty pretty much uh, around what Polanco is going to be making before the team options. So... These next five years in the Polanco deal look pretty good, and then if he's still a starter, if he's if he's playing at the level that the Twins think he's capable of, then there's no hesitation on those two team options. That I think like what eight and ten million, you pick those up. All of a sudden, you've got a young guy signed for seven years. Yeah, and then on and then as I as you said on Kepler, I think his his versatility, even if he if he fails to reach his potential. His versatility will still make him an asset. His defensive ability will still make him an asset. And the contract is not prohibitive either. So yeah, I, looking, I like them both. I'm looking at it now, 24, 2024. Hard to believe that's even a year. That'd be my 20-year uh, high school reunion. <laughs> Woof. Ten and a half club option for Polanco, $12 million for 2025. A combined buyout of 1.75 on the two years. And I, I suspect... If you buy out the first year, do you have to buy out the second, or do you just have one buyout? Maybe it is just one buyout. But um, either way, I mean, I I think if he's around that long, he's turned into a really nice player by that point. And then with Kepler, it's uh, it's, uh, (laughs) a— Sorry, a commercial playing on baseball reference. Um, Doggone it. you got to get your—they got to make their money, too. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, I think Kepler's is a $10 club option in 2024. So, yeah, I I don't think there's any real risk here as far as— they're going to pick up those options, too, I think. Yeah, no, they seem to work kind of on both sides. I'm sure these players obviously want the generational money from the club side. You want some stability and kind of just something you know. I mean, obviously, there, there could be injuries, there, lack of production or whatever. I think it's worth noting, and you guys would know a little bit more about this, I feel like Glenn Perkins signed a similar deal or kind of... Denard it, it, Spann comes to mind. Um, Brian Dozier's one where, in fact, that one was probably worse because they didn't buy into any more extra years, right? They just kind of bought out his arbitration. Well, it, it's based uh, worst based on how you look at it. Worse for 
him or worse for the team. But that's the thing. When he when he signed it, people were like, well, the Twins were dumb. That they, they You shouldn't sign that contract if you're not buying out more than the arbitration. Yeah, now imagine paying deal. him probably $14 million this year or something. Right. And I, and I think that, you know, again, I don't ex- – Brian Dozier was such an anomaly – um, like I, I don't think you can bank on that production from Kepler, for example, just because that happened with Brian Dozier. Right. But that contract in general became or looked like a good contract at the end, you know at the end of a when it expired. I, I think, um, yeah, I don't hate, I don't think it prohibits the team from doing anything else, and I think it sends a message that if you succeed in the big leagues after coming through a minor league system, you will be rewarded with with a contract. Yeah. Yep. The only on the flip side, the only time I remember this really not working out for the Twins in terms of these long-term uh, free arb or buying out arbitration deals was Nick Blackburn. I think signed yeah. one the same offseason, the span, yep. or maybe the the year prior, um, and that one certainly didn't pan out. Same with Joe Mays. I think Joe Mays signed like yep. a four-year deal worth twenty-four million or something. And so maybe it's something where he, now Perkins obviously was a pitcher, but a position player is a little safer, which it just seems generally speaking, you look at the draft, you look at just young players in general, it seems like position players are way more predictable than pitching. Doesn't mean you yeah, don't yeah. invest in pitching because you obviously need that and you tend to want homegrown. The other thing is I think teams hate the arbitration process mm-hmm. because you essentially are arguing against a player you like, right? You're, you're picking them apart and it becomes contentious over money that, Obviously, for most of us, is meaningful, but for a big league ball player in a, a major league club, tends to look pretty petty. So I think um, sometimes teams, I think especially with players they like, don't want to go into arbitration. Well, do you think Eddie Rosario would do one of these deals, Ryan? Because I, the the difference here is he wasn't an international free agent, and I think that part of this dynamic that people might see these deals as predatory is when guys like Salvador Perez signed them. I'm not necessarily sure that this applies to definitely not Kepler and maybe not Polanco, but sometimes they also target guys who had, you know, poor upbringings. I'm not saying it's necessarily always Latin players, but there is enough of an undercurrent of these guys where it does feel like maybe they target guys who have never seen this amount of money and can sell them a little more easily on it. But Rosario was a, a an MLB draft pick, so he had that signing bonus. I mean, again, both Kepler and 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 uh and Polanco signed as international free agents, so their bonuses maybe weren't quite as big as Rosario in the fourth round. But I don't know. I don't know if Rosario fits the bill. I'm not trying to allege anything racially necessarily. I'm just making an observation. Sure. But at the same time, too, this would be a time for him to cash in. Not not saying he's necessarily unsustainable, but if the Twins were offering, I feel like now would be a good time. I know he had a tough second half, but there's no guarantee that he's going to continue ascending. Yeah, I mean, he's currently at, at his career peak in terms of production coming off his best year. You think it would be a good time for him to cash in? At the same point, though, I don't think Eddie Rosario is a player that lacks any confidence in his ability. Right. Um, so so from his standpoint, I could easily see him thinking, well, I'm just going to keep getting better. I, you know, I'm going to keep growing as a player, and I'm going to be worth even more money, so why settle? So you can see both sides of it. Uh, the one that's interesting to me, and I'm sure we we're going to touch on this anyway, so I'll just bring it up, is Jose Barrios. Yeah. Um, specifically with the extensions just signed by Nola and Severino, I think his camp right now has to be cringing a little bit. Oh, yeah. Just given just give, seeing those two deals that pitchers that are pretty inarguably better than him have signed. So I would imagine that an extension with Barrios at this point, as much as the Twins might be 
um, advocating for it and, and trying for it uh, would be pretty unlikely at this point. So if you were to make a list of the most talented Twins pitchers since Johan Santana, I think Liriano yeah. and Barrios are one, two, but in what order do you put them? Oh, Liriano's peak Liriano in 06 but, is but, number but, one. But, but Santana was still there. I'm saying when he left. Oh, then it's probably Barrios. But it's close, um, right? But, but it's close, right? It's also we're comparing uh, Barrios to 2010 Liriano. I mean, 2010 Liriano was great. 2011 Liriano was a disaster. Mm-hmm. 2012 Liriano was a disaster. And then 2013 Liriano, I want to say, was Pittsburgh. So um, when he kind of came good. back around. And, and it, he was still talented. It was just... Was he ever going to be who he was? Is Barrios right. going to be a better twin, in your opinion, than Liriano? I think the answer is yes. So then, yeah, I, yeah talent-wise, I think I think they're going to get more out of Barrios than than Liriano. But it just also shows in the twelve or thirteen years now since since Santana was moved, they have not brought much pitching through this organization, and that's maybe a, another reason why Barrios should be um, you know a target for this kind of deal. To, to even underscore your point some more, the number three pitcher on that list Berea, after Barrios and Liriano is Scott Baker. Matt, Gar- Matt Garza. Matt Scott Garza, Baker? Scott Baker, Kevin Slowey. I mean, it's And those bad. are older names. It's too. bad. Well, I mean, none of those guys are even pitching anymore. Yeah. I, I think the I, – I see it differently. I think with Barrios, they'd love to sign him right now because he seems – No, that's what I mean. I think, I think he, he should. Yeah, and I think he um, – right, looking at the kind of the precedent – but he may be gambling on himself. With Rosario, it might be him gambling on himself. I think the other thing is you send a weird message if you sign him, and then the parts of his game that you're refining are kind of discipline, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You want you want to allow him to be um, creative and aggressive, and there's an exciting part of his game, obviously. But you're also probably sending a message that hit the cutoff man, you know, don't get caught in no man's run. Land the base better. Don't swing at a ball that yeah. everyone knows is a ball, right? You know, and I think if you send him one of these contracts, you maybe say um, you're sending two messages at one time, and I don't think a club wants to do how, that. How much does it matter, though? Like, so these deals with, and I don't know enough about Nola's, but Severino, I mean, he's locking in like 14 million over the next two years before a potential work stoppage. Brios will have one year of arbitration eligibility before the stoppage. I wonder how much the Twins, b- both deliberately and not deliberately, are going to try sell the idea that um, you know you can lock in some money before this potential stoppage to protect yourself. Because that first year of arbitration eligibility, as good as it might be, is probably only going to be three and a half, four million dollars. And if he can lock in an early ten or twelve, it, maybe he thinks about it. Uh, this is a guy though that's a first round pick, and you know Puerto Rico is is America. So he's had a little bit of a different path to the big leagues. And again, we're not trying to implicate any racial tensions or racial issues here. Just we got to lay out the facts and then look, look at how the different pathways you're yeah, saying, yeah, right? Yeah, look yeah. at where the draft, where they basically, were drafted. and Basically, it comes back to the fact that they don't make any money in the minor leagues. So whatever they come up from, however long they spend in the minor leagues, they need to not only make a living to catch up with whatever they may have needed to push into the future back, you know, during their development, but they also have families back home to take care of too. And so I think Barrios maybe is a little less likely to take one of these deals. I'm just curious though, how much they will, and I don't know if this is ethical or not, say, look, you're only going to have one year of arbitration before this potential stoppage. We'll put some, we'll we'll line your pockets if you give us something on the back end. And uh, 
that's where the cringing has to come into play for uh, Barrios, and I think he's represented by Wasserman. Um, yeah, so I, I, I have to believe that they're not loving that this Nola and Severino situation is happening. But at the same time, you keep thinking, well, it's not going to get worse. We thought that last offseason, it's, it's worse this offseason. Right. I think coming into the offseason, if you were to ask off the record Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, who's the number one player you'd like to get an extension with, I think they probably would have told you Jose Barrios. I think uh, at least I, that would have been my answer as a fan. Would be I would like to see Jose Barrios locked up. Yep. Um, and I'm sure they're you know they're kind of licking their chops here, seeing Manola and Severino deals, and there's there's now this precedent set for like I say, two pitchers that are young, or two pitchers that are pretty inarguably better at this point than Jose Barrios taking those types of deals. And I, I just think it's unlikely from the Barrios side that anything gets done, um, given that. The, the pitching market and someone of his value seems to be a little bit depressed right now in terms of the extensions. So Lavelle says no other conversations going on right now, but that can change yep. quickly, and there's still six weeks until opening day. Do you feel like there will be any others, or is this kind of it? I hope so. I mean, I, sure. I'm hopeful that they get uh, both Barrios and Rosario done, and even to a lesser extent, Taylor Rogers Or Kyle Gibson. Um, or Kyle Gibson, right? Yeah. Um, and I think I think they I could see them getting Ooh, Kyle Gibson Ky- done. Gibson too, has right? to be Gibson also has to be kind of uh, kind of shaking his head at this current pitching market because I mean, granted, he has just this year of club control, but he's not nearly as good as Nola or Severino even at his best. And so, and, and 30, he's already and he's already thirty one, yeah. which I and think needs the, to be mentioned. Well, the Sonny Gray deal too really shoots him in the foot. So I wonder if I know Sonny Gray had a rough year, but. I wonder now if you couldn't get Gibson for for two years and and twenty five million with an option. Yeah, and he may want. Yeah, to I was thinking two twenty two with the team option. I was for twelve. Million. I was thinking three and forty five before this off season. So, I I think honestly, if he assuming he trusts the club and it obviously I think he does. Has, think he does. And has faith in himself, he may want to go year to year basically to reward himself. Who's that? Gibson, right? Reward himself for each performance, well, no, essentially. I mean, well, no, I mean, he's only got this year of control, and then he's a free agent. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he wants to – I think he wants to cash in. Yes, that's, I guess, where one. I'm going with that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he wants yeah. to go year to year anymore. Yeah. But but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I think and he might be a guy that, that might be likely to be done here to get done on a deal before spring training, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he does want to stay a twin. Again, he's coming off his best year, even though the market is is uh, not what he would want it to be. But I think it makes sense for both sides. The twins don't have a starting pitcher other than Barrios, uh, currently who's in the rotation under contract for next year. So I think they'd like to get somebody like that locked up as well. I also don't think it benefits him to hit free agency with Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Chris Sale, and a bunch of other names who... I mean, even if he has a year like he did last year, he's not as good as they are. He's also older than pretty much all of them except for Verlander. And so I just don't see a real benefit for him hitting free agency unabated, untethered, um, unrestricted, all those fun words. I just don't think there's any real advantage for him to hit free agency, as weird as that sounds to to hear that come out of anybody's mouth. Yeah, I completely agree there. So maybe this is a little bit too hasty, but – do you let your mind think about maybe Alex Kirilov playing first base and being the first baseman of the future? Or is it because Miguel Sano is still around that you think about that? Maybe you go all in on Brent Rooker, who had a bit of a down year at Chattanooga, may head to Pensacola, though he could start this year season at Rochester. I mean, 
Kirloff already has the Tommy John re- recently. And, and, and people might wonder why I'm bringing this up, but it's also a reaction to Kepler having right field probably locked down. I mean, if Buxton never takes hold, you could, in theory, move either Rosario or Kepler to center and install Kirilov, but I'm just not letting my brain go there. I, I'm more apt to think, all right, well, then how do you get Kirilov, who I think could play in the big leagues this season, to them to the to this level? And I think the most obvious path is at first base. Um, am I overthinking it? Am I put you know going too far down the road? What do you think? Well, I think about this stuff all the time. So I mean, I, I think about these different permutations. <laughs> this is my this is my produce section at Target brain talking. So <laughs> people, if, if you listen to the program, you know the bit. That's that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, I do, I do think about this stuff all the time. And I was intrigued uh, not to give away the farm here. Subscribe to ESPN Plus um, and read this stuff. But Keith Law had said he had Kirilov as a future seventy grade first base defender. That's dirty. Which is which is I mean that's Cody Bellinger level. Is this is, is this a is this a Joey Votto light situation? I mean that's the name I just keep coming back to as someone who just hits and hits and hits. Doesn't care if it's lefties, doesn't care if it's righties, doesn't care if you roll a bowling ball up there. Actually, that's probably more like Eddie Rosario as far as plate discipline. But um, <laughs> I digress. Joey Votto Light is the name I keep coming back to. And, and Votto, I don't know if he ever had an 80 on his hit tool, but this is one of the better pure hitters I've ever seen. And, and again, I'm probably biased because I, I see this farm and I hear it talked about so often. But man, um, well, I'm on MLB The Show, and I'm I, you know I try to bump up these prospects to who I think they can be. Oh yeah, I'm tempted to look at Joey Votto and just give Kirilov a lot of those numbers, and then bring him to the big leagues. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. Um, we'll have to see how he hits this year. You know, it's one it's one full year in the minor leagues for Alex Kirilov so far. If you think about it that way, it's it's he's had one full year. Granted, <laughs> it was about as great as one full year in the minor leagues can be. It sounds like one um, small step for man, one giant leap for mankind almost. One full year for Alex Kirilov, one big leap for the Minnesota Twins. There you go. Know. Yeah, that might be it. <laughs> I, tried, I tried. Yeah. Um, uh, so we'll have to see how he – I think he's going to start Pensacola, and if he rips the cover off the ball at Pensacola and he, and he continues where he left off last year – I mean, he's going to force his way into the Twins' plan sometime here in, in 2019 and certainly in 2020. Um, and that's that's just one of those situations where the bat is so good, it doesn't matter if it's in right field, if it's at first base, or if it's a DH, you're going to find a spot to put that bat in the lineup. Yeah, and I think, I mean, your best case is hoping that he forces you to trade a producing C.J. Crone at the deadline just because he's playing that well. I mean, best case, because... That best case would also apply to Crone having a, a repeat of last season. I think it should be noted too that both these contracts, uh, you know, the the players are signed through twenty twenty three, but the cost certainty with both Polanco and Kepler now makes them, I I would say, even more valuable trade assets as well. I think it's more likely that they also take that deep plunge into free agency next year to. You know, if they decide they want to go the route of Nolan Arenado at third, Miguel Sano at first, or DH, um, you can get into some pretty crazy scenarios where Sano's your first baseman, Polanco's your second baseman, Lewis is your shortstop, and Arenado is your third baseman. And I mean, how oh that's, that's, that would be like the best infield in Twins history. And oh boy, or you go Sano at DH, Kirilov at first. I mean, it's uh, whew. It's you can little, dream on that. A little sweaty in here. 
You um, can dream on that. I'll pour some cold water on you and cool you down here. You I think uh, I think Nolan Arenado, given the market, is going to end up staying in Colorado. I think he's going to end up signing a, a long-term extension there. For, for I, less I, average I, annual value per year than what he's making this year, probably. Right, yeah. I think, I think that's going to be kind of one of the consequences you start to see uh, with the free agent – the free agent market being what it has been the last two years is more players being reticent to hit free agency and, and liking where they're at and uh, signing long-term deals with their current clubs. So let's talk about opening day lineup for a second, because it was in my, it was in my mailbag that came out on uh, Thursday. I want to say, yeah, nope, Wednesday. And it's kind of apt because I think Jorge Polanco will probably hit leadoff. So, I say Jorge Polanco at leadoff. Where do you guys stand? Well, Tom, you first. I mean, with Joe Maurer gone, with Brian Dozier gone, I mean, there's really not that many options. They didn't go out and get a Jed Lowry. They didn't go out and get even a John Jay or anything. They, they really don't have an ideal leadoff guy. So I'm, I'm going Jorge Polanco at leadoff. Yeah, I think you're talking to opening day. I think that's... Corey Kluber, probably. I mean, even if Kluber yeah. got traded, it would be... Bauer, Carrasco, or Clevenger. So you're wow, going to face a righty. Imagine a trade in spring training. You trade Kluber. That's got to be a bummer if you're in. Uh, they're not going player, to, but I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, yeah, if, you no, cover no. All, if you cover all your bases, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. still facing a righty. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, to state the obvious, their hope is that it goes Bucks and Polanco by the end of the season. Not I don't think Buckson's ever going to hit leadoff. I really or, don't. Or whatever, Polanco, Bucks, but that he would move up. You have sure, a yeah, number yeah. nine. Um, yeah, it seems like, especially considering what you just said there, that's probably his spot to lose throughout the season. Polanco? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just, you don't want Rosario swinging at random stuff, and you obviously want the meet at lineup to be Cruz, Kepler, Sano, Crone if he takes off. Stuff That's like the exact that. order yeah. I have. Yeah. You're cheating. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Ryan, you am I, am I smart to assume that you have Polanco leading off? Yeah, I mean, I'd answer your question with a question. Who else is it going to be? I mean, I, I mean, it's Max Kepler's uh, OBP last year was so heavily – Weighted by walks that you could make a case, but if he True. only hits 240 with a 350 on base, I don't know. Williams, I mean, Williams has to deal. Yeah, Williams. I don't please, so. please, <laughs> Williams has to deal. Leadoff hitter who plays nine <laughs> positions in one game is what we all need. I just don't think he's going to make this roster, honestly. And I know that he's people probably hater. Not. Hater. He's getting picked in fantasy leagues, and I'm just like, guys, don't, don't. Okay, well, in the Ven- Venezuelan fantasy yeah, baseball. Yes. Yeah. So, who's hitting second for I, you, Ryan? Uh, second for me would, and this is interesting because and I know I'm, I'm, I'm putting you on the it. spot, so you may have to spitball and try to remember this as you go. So I get that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it off the top of my head. I am, but I remember, uh, briefly when the twins played the Rays, CJ Crone was their two hitter. Okay. Um, and I think that that might make a little bit of sense. So CJ Crone. <laughs> Are you trying to do a righty lefty balance too though? Uh, a little bit. So I have Eddie Rosario betting second. Does scope make sense? No, th- not no. to me. Not to me, no. he doesn't. Yeah. Um, well, to, I'm just trying to think of other high. options. To a lot of people, they think he makes sense. They're, to me, he doesn't. But And why is that? OBP. I mean, he's, he had like a 295 OBP last year. Yeah. At his best, I think he hit 280 and was like 325 or 330 OBP. Um, to me, scope is a luxurious number six or seven hitter in that he'll crush yeah. mistakes he uh, he's also trying to bounce back. You're gonna well, put him late. He had the lineup, highest yeah. batting average against cutters last year in baseball. He had like 500 against cutters. Yeah. So I mean, it's kind of funny to find a weird stat like that. But for me, he's hitting seventh. So I'm going Rosario second. And uh, Ryan, any objections to that? Oh no, none at all. I think that's probably the most likely 
likely scenario. I'm just trying to be a little bit different. I remember Crone hit second a little bit last year. Well, so and so that, I, I'm putting in there. Well, and that's going lefty lefty at the top. So I I do yep. I do realize. Oh no, Polanco's a switch. For some, reason I, for some reason, I think of him as a lefty only, but I don't know why that is. Um, so, that, no, that makes sense. And, and even still, those would be the – if they were both lefties, I mean, I don't really worry about Eddie Rosario against lefties because he'll just – he'll do whatever it takes. So, um, I have Nelson Cruz batting third. I don't know. If if you go Polanco and then Crone, I think you could have Max Kepler hit third, Cruz hit fourth, and then Sano hit fifth. But, and I know people will be like, well, you want Cruz hitting cleanup because, you know, do-ti-do, cleanup hitter, power, whatever. Right, but right. Um, right now, I think Cruz is your best hitter. Uh, It'd be a reward for Snow, too, if, if you keep Cruz at three. Yeah. Telling Snow if you play well, you can be the cleanup guy. Yeah, well, and I also think, though, like, uh, I say that Cruz is their best hitter, but, I mean, Rosario could make a case because of his bat-to-ball skills, hand-eye coordination is, and all that. Is there, is there an advantage to play, because Cruz is supposed to be more patient, right? Yeah. Um, is there an advantage to playing a Rosario and Cruz next to each other to kind of throw off a pitcher? Does that matter? I, I don't know. It, it, I mean, I suspect maybe not too much, but the fact that Cruz looms, as as little as I believe protection matters, I do think it could mean that Rosario sees more pitches in the strike zone um, as compared to maybe what he would do with his undisciplined self otherwise. I'm not saying it's protection as much as... Um, I just think you put him in a better spot to succeed. Right. And I, uh, I'm like you, I have Rosario Cruz back to back. You have them two, three, I have them three, four. Okay. Given that I, the, given that I gave Crone the two spot. Yeah. Uh, I'd put, I'd put Sano right after Cruz, uh, and I'd put Kepler right after Snow, And then the bottom three would be scope Castro Buxton at this point. So those are my bottom three. I have Polanco, Rosario Cruz, Kepler cleanup, Sano, Crone, scope, Castro, Buxton. Um, but I could be talked into Cruz, Sano, Kepler, Crone, Scope, or Cruz, Sano, Crone, Kepler. I, I could put Kepler as high as two or as low as seven, really, based on the day or based on how he's going. So my opening day lineup, I'll just reiterate it. I'd have Polanco, Rosario, Cruz, Kepler, Sano, Crone, Scope, Castro, Buxton. Um, I just don't see Byron Buxton as ever being a leadoff hitter. And I know that's a popular thing that people are saying, but if he develops to the player you expect him to be and becomes a guy who gets on base 35% of the time, it probably means he has a 900 OPS and is batting second or third. Yeah, I agree. I think I think if he reaches his potential, that's exactly where you're going to see him in the lineup. Um, if he kind of continues to be the player he is or just maybe takes a small step forward, it's probably going to be somewhere 7, 8, or 9. But I don't think he has enough OBP really to ever be a leadoff guy. And if he does if he does reach the potential where he is getting on base more and he is maybe hitting with more pop, then he's a two or three hitter. Yeah, I I think that's that's a that's a point well taken. I think that's uh that's a good idea. Let's see what else we got here. So uh minor league invites were released here a few days ago. I wrote them up for zonecoverage.com. Please make sure to check that out. Well, I want to ask you, Ryan and, and Tom, feel free to jump in as well as if any of these guys stand out to you. We'll just go position by position. But uh, catchers now teams teams bring extra catchers just to make sure that pitchers can get their work in. I, I noted this in the Brian Navarretto blurb because he's kind of the quintessential extra catcher to uh, probably come over from the minor league side, even when he gets reassigned, just to give someone uh, give him someone to throw to. But great defensive catcher, almost like a Drew Butera light, 
And so it's Brian Navaretto, Ben Rortvet, Winston Sawyer, and, and Tomas Talese. Uh, Talese has some big league experience with the Marlins and Rangers. He obviously got the Thad Levine factor with his early Rangers time back in 2014. Uh, Rortvet started the show a little bit more at the bat and uh, pretty good defensively, but as far as guys that can make the team, really not much here in my estimation. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, not not much to see here. Uh, Navarretto is is kind of the guy, a guy that I would call body beautiful. He looks like a baseball. Oh, player. he looks like he's going to crush looks- everything. I'm almost like a like a Martin Maldonado or a, back in the day Tony Eusebio. Not not necessarily Eusebio though. He's like he looked good, but he just looked like he would kill everything, and he hit like two twenty. He looks like a cut Salvador Perez. There you go. <laughs> like he's yeah, it's it's a cut Salvador Perez, like an Adonis like or something. Right. That looks like he's just going to, you know, be an all-star catcher and is going to tear up baseball. Uh, And he's, you know, got a big arm, got some power, but he can't hit. So he's really nothing more than another camp body to play catcher. He he threw out 50% of runners last year. Right. Or no, no, sorry, 50% 50 in his career. So, I mean, that's insane. That's 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 going to get him to the big leagues eventually somewhere. It has to. I, I don't care if he gets 180. They're going to He threw out 57% last year. At Nope, sorry, that was Fort Myers 57%, 54% in 2017, 59% in 20 The numbers here are a little bit touchy. We got to go to the baseball cube to to get them. So I'm going to I'm going to find it, but this is a guy that says the baseball cube. It says 50% for his career. That's unbelievable. Yeah, that's nuts. That should get him to the big leagues at some point. Um, so basically, uh, but he hits worse a, than Drew Butera. That's the problem. A cut Sal Perez who hits worse than Drew Butera with, uh, with maybe a little bit more power. I've never been more confused in my life. That's quite a player. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Rortvet, you know, prospect maybe gets to the big league someday and I think could still be a starter. But Sawyer doesn't do much. There's for me. some value with the young guys and those are the people that intrigue me most. It's, yeah. it's fun to see X like, or MLB guys who, who had a, have a track record, but in some ways, it seems like there's just value with these Kirilov Lewis Rovet yeah. being with um, the big guys. Talese, Talese, to me, looks like somebody shrunk down Carlos Santana in a... Took like, away all his ability? Yeah, yeah, because, like, I watched <laughs> his swing. Stars. His first ever homer like, was against... Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the Space Jam. <laughs> uh, he's basically the Space Jam post-Monstars version of Charles Barkley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Demos tell us it. He hit his first career homer off Max Scherzer, and I, I'm watching the video here because I had it in the post. Uh, a fence scraper at uh, at Marlins Park, and yeah, he he's got that lefty swing, very squat built, a um, little bigger, and yeah, he just he reminds me of a, a shrunk down Carlos Santana, the, the Monstars version. But uh, infielders, so they kind of muscled up on the uh, Doug Bernier types with Dean Anna and Adam Rosales. Yes. They have uh, Lucas Duda, who we haven't even talked about as a signing, but. In theory, could give you a cheap platoon with Tyler Austin in a in a roster situation where there were unlimited abilities to platoon. I don't think it's going to happen. But then a couple of younger guys, Randy Cesar, who came over from the Astros, had a 42-game hitting streak with Double A Corpus Christi last year. And then Royce Lewis. Oh, by the way, um, you know, just the best prospect in the system and consensus top 10 prospect in the game. Obviously, we're all excited about what Lewis could be. So. I think we've donated enough airtime. It's, air time to it's him. fun to see him interact with older players because he's known as a leader, but we know he leads his high school teammates, his minor league teammates. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see how he kind of presents himself with you know more you know older players. At- yeah, I, I still though think I mean 
Ronald Torias and Adrianza mean that none of these guys are going to get a chance, with the exception of Duda, if everything falls apart for a CJ Crone or a Tyler Austin. Yeah, I agree. I think, Tom, to your point, I, I think I can say this with a fair fair uh, amount of confidence. I don't think Royce Lewis is going to seem out of place in Major League Camp. No, nope. I, I really don't. I, 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 I think he's he's going to be as adult in the room as any of those other guys. And I think he, I think he's just a guy whose makeup is off the charts and his maturity is well beyond his years. Uh, on Lucas Duda, I think it's more of a showcase for for him personally mm-hmm. to get at bats in front of scouts and to exercise his opt out. There's just too much of a crunch in terms of the the first base the first base types um, on the Twins potential 25 man roster. Dean Anna never trust anybody with two first names, um, and Ronald Torias. I think is is going to be in a battle for one spot with Ari Adrianza. Yeah, and I think another big dynamic to consider is that um, the Twins' AAA team last year could pitch, but couldn't hit at all. Didn't have any offense, and not that Dean Anna or Adam Rosales is going to add to that. But I think they've made a concentrated effort to add, you know, a few more respectable AAA quad A type players to make Rochester, you know a better team, more well-rounded, but also these guys will be, you know, break glass in case of emergency as opposed to, you know, last year Gregorio Petit spending two months in the big leagues. Right. I, yeah, I would completely agree with that. It's more, it's more about the it's more about the um, getting Rochester some depth um, and getting some players who have, who have done it before. So the outfielders, no uh, – no blue hairs in this group. Alex Kirilov, Luke Rayleigh, and Brent Rooker. I mean, Rooker's listed as an outfielder. He'll probably play first base or DH when he, if and when he makes the big leagues, and I assume he will. Is there? I mean, we all know about Kirilov. We, we talked about him earlier, and Rooker is pretty exciting. Anything about Luke Rayleigh that you enjoy? Because honestly, um, I don't know. I mean, I think the bat's interesting. As much as you look at a top thirty prospect list when they're trading Dozier, and you realize they may not get a top 10 prospect from a big Dodger system. I think to get Rayleigh, who's got some thump and, uh, you know, a nice lefty swing, he's still at least somewhat interesting, even if the organization is pretty stacked in those positions. Yeah, I think the thing that makes him the most interesting is, A, he's a power bat, so power is always interesting. And then, B, just that he was the chief return for the Brian, in the Brian Dozier deal. Yeah. The chief, the chief prospect return in the Brian Dozier deal, which I think merits some sort of following. Yeah. Um, he, his... His numbers certainly aren't bad, but they're—I mean—they're pretty consistently good, but not necessarily spectacular. Um, but I think he's—he's he's a guy to watch, although maybe in the lower tier of prospects. Yeah, I think that's—I think that's fair. And then pitchers, this is a fun bunch. Uh, Tim Collins is—we talked about Tim Collins on the show last week. We, we haven't, but he's diminutive. But well, I mean, we—we we talked about—I talked about him with Mastro because they played together in the Blue okay, Jay sure. system. Before he was traded to the Royals for Rick Ankiel. Actually, he was traded to the Braves, wow. who flipped him to the Royals for Rick Ankiel and Kyle Farnsworth. So five foot seven, 168 pounds, 95 mile an hour fastball, had back to back Tommy John surgeries. The first graft didn't take. I mean, that's about as bad that, luck as you can insane. have. Yeah. Um, came back, had really ugly numbers with the Nationals last year, but just amazing to get back. Justin Nicolino, uh, soft tossing lefty, but big league experience. Good to have those guys on your on your side. Chase DeYoung, who was recently outrighted, but uh, you know, gives you another guy who has pitched in the big leagues. Preston Gilmet, who uh, we have some video, has a really interesting over-the-top delivery. 
Ryan Harper, who has some of the best minor league numbers you'll ever want to see from a reliever. Um, Mike Morin, who has a dirty changeup in, in about 175 big league innings between the Mariners and the Angels. Jake Reed, who's kind of been stuck in purgatory at Rochester, as I wrote. Um, 1.92 ERA in parts of three seasons with Rochester. Can't get a call up. And then the guy that I didn't mention, who also is interesting, Ryan Eads, um, actually a Scott Boris client, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, he's now a reliever full-time, it looks like. Um, mid-90s with his fastball, I was told, up to 96. Last year out of the bullpen, really great numbers as well at Rochester. And I don't know. I mean, I think this is a really interesting bunch. I know the bullpen right now is is pretty sturdy, and if they add another arm, you could see a full bullpen with both Martin Perez and Adalberto Mejia going out to the bullpen. But and Romero, he said? No, no, no. Um, Romero could be in that mix too, yeah, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. Uh, but I think that they're going to have, as the bullpen churns, you know, it sounds like a, a soap opera, but uh, <laughs> the Matt McGill types, you know, that's I think that this year that's uh, Preston Gilmet and and um, and uh, who was the other one? Oh, Ryan Harper could be, you know, Mike Morin. They're going to have a lot of options for churn that are going to be interesting. Tim Collins, I just think there's a good chance for this bullpen to be solid, and they're going to have some interesting secondary options hanging out at Rochester for when they need to go to the well. Yeah, that's a group full of interesting guys who who might be able to give you something. I know when Matt McGill was called up last year, I I kind of squinted and went, Matt, where do I know that name from, Matt McGill? And then he, you know, he gave the Twins some good innings. Um, I think uh, Mike Morin is certainly a guy that stands out to me on that list. Right, n- right now, I pick him as the favorite to be the the seventh reliever. Yeah, if I, per- if Perez is the fifth starter, let's just say hypothetically, I think that they have six guys in ink. In my theory, um, Reed, May, Rogers, Hildenberger, Mejia, and Parker. I think those six are in ink, basically. Right? I mean, basically. Which yep. leaves you with a seventh spot. I don't think the, if they go eight, they could have two guys. But that means either Perez is your final bullpen guy and you add a starter, which I think everyone's hoping for, um, whether it's Gio Gonzalez or Dallas Keuchel, or you have a wild card someone who makes the bullpen, whether it's a non-roster guy like these guys are Andrew Vasquez, Tyler Duffy, uh, Matt McGill. Um, but of these guys that are listed on this non-roster list, I have to think Mike Morin has the best chance. Yeah, I'd agree. And it's one thing I didn't notice, thinking he'd been around for a while and noting that he'd been he'd pitched, I think, parts of four seasons in the majors. Mike Morin's only twenty seven years old. Right. He's still 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 relatively young. Makes me feel old. At the major league level. Makes me feel What's old. What's that? He makes me feel old. You are old. Well that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna argue. Uh there is a video that was on YouTube that I put up for the post yesterday and it's it's called Minnesota Twins Meet the Non Roster Invitees for Spring Training. And it was Mike Morin's best changeups, and I would say make sure your your Ooh. significant other is not in the room, and uh, you're gonna have to clear your browser history after watching NSFW. This one. Yep, yeah, yeah, uh, not safe for I, watching with your. No, I'm kidding. Uh it's it's dirty though. Like his changeup is so good. I will say that just for some reason that made me think of the old Eduardo Escobar videos in spring training, and I'm now very sad. Oh, yeah. We will not get to see, we will not get to see that for a third yes, year, he. and and I'm I'm currently inconsolable. Yeah, and I think Tarias is going to be fun, but he's not going to be ASCII. I mean, nobody's ASCII. Yeah, nobody's I'm, ASCII. Man. I'm watching this changeup, and I can't even focus on the things you're saying. I got to close this browser. Hopefully, <laughs> we're, they don't, we're at work. Yeah, we're at work. I hope we don't check my browser history. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's fire, a, Brandon. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, um, just dirty though. So I think of of those guys. 
that's your best chance. So um, there, there was a contest in that that Facebook group that I was talking about earlier about all the people that hated these contracts, and they were doing a bench rotation guessing contest. And whoever wins gets a free – it was like an Alex Kirilov baseball card or something. And I just did it just to be funny. But um, there were people guessing five-man benches and five-man rotations. And I'm like, have you ever seen a big league roster before? Like at the very oh, most – bullpens. You mean five-man bullpens. No, 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 no. Five-man benches. Like it will be three-man if there's 13 pitchers and four-man if there's 12 pitchers. But there will never, ever, ever well, be a five-man bench. There is an argument that's under the current rules. There is an argument that they should add to the major league roster. Yeah, right? but if, if yeah. they change to 26, then I'll have a five-man bench. Yeah. However, so I feel like it's almost like stealing candy from a baby if I win. But as of right <laughs> now, my four-man bench is Mitch Garver, Ari Adrianza, Ronald Torias, and Jake Cave. What say you, Ryan? My four-man bench is Ari Adrianza. I first of all, I think it's going to be a three-man bench, regrettably. Oh, gross. Um, but yeah, my four-man bench is Jake Cave, Mitch Garver, Ari Adrianza, and because I love him like a son, Williams Ostadio. Yes. Okay. 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 Would you keep? Thank you, Tom. If if it came down to Ostadio making the big league team or Tyler Austin having to be DFA'd, though. Does that matter to you at all? Because, I mean, what's Tyler Austin going to do on this roster? I totally understand the thought. DFAM, I'll tell you what matters to me. Williams Austin deal matters to me. Okay. So I, I would, would, no, I, I don't know if I would DFA Tyler Austin. I, I, I think that's probably a risk you don't want to take, just losing him for nothing so you can give Williams a roster spot. But Williams is a very important part of my life. I think, so, I think uh, Tyler Austin is <laughs> going to play first base for the Mariners at some point this season. That I love that call. Some of sense. Is he too redundant to Ryan Healy? Well, I guess Ryan Healy. Yeah, he's a first baseman. Well, he seems redundant to Ryan Healy. Because, I mean, I think they'd like to trade Seeger, but he's owed like $400 million still. Um, they yeah. still have Edwin Encarnacion? No. <laughs> for now. For now. Uh, they and, do? and Vogelbach, too. So, I mean, Tyler Vogelbach. He'll never get a shot. Or Tyler Austin. I said Tyler Vogelbach. <laughs> Tyler Austin and Dan Vogelbach have that Spider Man meme thing going on. So, um, <laughs> guys that, that could produce but just haven't yet. So, um, I just I don't know that Tyler Austin's going to get too many plate appearances, and even if he makes the opening day roster, I think he's he's just a better fit for a team that is not necessarily contending right now. I, they, they got a good look at him last year, and yeah. I'm assuming other teams did as well. Well, I, I suspect he could go to like Toronto and be the new Justin Smoke, the guy they turn into a 40 yeah, over guy yeah. with uh, you know the Edwin it, when he got thing. a hold of him, it was oh yeah he know. he hit one to the Budweiser roof deck. I mean that's yeah uncharted territory. So anyway. Uh, for rotation, though, I have Barrios, Gibson, Odorizzi, Pineda, and Perez. Uh, honestly, the first four are in ink. I would rather have Mejia than Perez to start the year as the number five starter. And you could send both out to the bullpen to start the year if you don't need a fifth starter for the first couple weeks. But um, as mo- I-, I want to be able to say, you know, Dallas Keuchel or Gio Gonzalez with both the other lefties and, and out in the pen. There's not a chance it's of the Gonsalva Silk, kind of the long-term I mean, prospect. It, I mean, it could yeah. be, but I just... You know, then both those guys have to go to the bullpen, and I just don't think Gonzalez is better than either of those guys right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here, here's what I'll go with. I'll go with you talk about a seventh reliever type yeah. or someone you thought was the seventh reliever type with the six in stone. Um, I'll go twelve man. We'll, we'll just argue twelve man pitching staff, four starters. Seventh reliever would be Perez. Eighth reliever would be Cole Stewart, and the fifth it. starter will be an opener. Ah, okay. So, who do you think is the opener then? 
So I think it'd be. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, who would be Did, the opener? Would it be someone? Would it be someone off the roster though? Could it be Trevor May? Well, no, because the of the guys I listed, right? So maybe are you guys. talking about? Are you talking about like a Gabriel Moya who we haven't mentioned yet? Or are you talking about someone in our existing bullpen conversation here? It has to be someone in the existing bullpen conversation. See, and that, there's, there's nobody in that really list unless you want to do like a Mejia or a Perez. And I mean, either of those guys could yeah, be fine. Yeah, that's interesting. Those are all primary type guys. You're right. Well, no, I, I think you could open with them too. But um, I think too, it makes a lot of sense to open with a Perez and then a Cole Stewart primary or vice versa. You know, not not so much from a. I, I guess I like contrast. If you're going to have a a lefty fly ball guy like Mejia, I don't think he's gotten too many grounders. And then yep. Stewart, who's got well, a comparable launch angle to Dallas Keuchel. Um, I like the contrast there. And I also think, if especially if you've got a team like Cleveland, who's going to be lefty heavy at the top or switch hitting heavy with uh, Lindor and Ramirez, you know, get them on a different side of the plate to start the game and then back to the other side. You know, then they have to prepare for that in BP a little bit and all that. I don't know. I just think uh, a team... You know, last year they were lefty heavy. I don't know if they're going to be as lefty heavy this year with Chisholm gone and uh, Kipnis maybe not as big of a, a part of their their plan this year. But um, I don't know. I think though to mess with other teams, and I'm a big Cole Stewart guy this year. I have so much dirt uh, and dope to write up, but I just haven't had time to transcribe it all. By the way, if anybody's listening and wants to transcribe for me, hit me up. But um, yeah, I'll pass on that. By yeah. the way, uh, well, I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, I just think though that. Uh, for me, having that contrast makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I actually now that now that you're starting to talk about it, I like the idea of Martin Perez coming out for one or two innings, throwing, airing it out, throwing 96, 97 from the left side, yep. and then following it up with five innings of Cole Stewart. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's I think that's interesting. Cole Stewart's going to be a, a dude this year. You heard it here first. Um, any closing thoughts before we let you go? I like Cole Stewart too, um, but I'll give you credit for that, for getting on that bandwagon first. Uh, first and foremost, man, I guess my, my overarching thought is uh, spring can't come soon enough. Baseball can't come soon enough. I'm ready. How, how excited are you for this team? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I, I'm giddy. And I, I, I know that they won 78 games last year and were wholly disappointing. But from the top down, I just have so much faith in the plan, the process to steal from Sam Hinkie. Yeah. But I, I see what they're doing. I see the rap soto. I see all the stuff that they're doing to develop pitching to the point where I'm like, you know what? There is so much talent on this team. There is so much technological advance happening. They're going to shock the world. I feel very confident that when I say an 86 and 76 season, like I said, they're going to win 80 games two years ago and got blown out of the room and, and laughed off the face of the earth. And I was right. Yep. I'm thinking I could write that column for 90 this year and I would not feel like I'm doing a hot take. I'm not being Skip Bayless. I think, I think you're letting the the preseason hype get to you a little bit. I'm just, ta- will... I'm just from a talent, strict talent standpoint. Yeah, sure. No, I agree. I mean, this is a team that two years ago, when it all started to get put together with Buxton and Sano and the young guys, mm-hmm. won 85 games. Right. I think that, I think the lineup could be better than that, given that they're two years down the road. I think if Buxton and Sano can really put it together and figure it out. That's that's ultimately the linchpin of the season is can those guys figure it out? And I think if they can, I, th- I don't see any reason this team this team 
doesn't win 86, 87 games. Yep. The, the, the part about that that does give me some pause then and kind of frustrates me is if you know then that the weak part of the organization is maybe the pitching side, maybe that fifth starter spot, why aren't you paying Dallas Keuchel two years, $44 million to come in for, for those two years and maybe with a third-year option and come in and stabilize that rotation they when still, you have the payroll to do it? I think it makes too much sense. They still might. They still might. They still could. To me, it just feels like they're laying in the weeds for that kind of thing. It really does. Yeah. And I mean, I just – if you get Dallas Keuchel, they're winning 90 games this year. I'm, t- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the record and say that. People can people can blow up my spot all they want. I don't care. I'll mute you. I don't, whatever. But if they get Dallas Keuchel, they're winning 90 games this year. I could see it. I think they'll surprise some people. I think the division's weak. I think Cleveland specifically, when you look at that god-awful outfield – Yeah, then um, – and just and now, I, I, the division's right there, man. Well, and, and Lindor is only going to miss a couple games, but man, you know it, it's a very big potential for him to um, have a tough. You, you, there's there's a built-in tough season justification by not having a full spring training. It's the the Logan Morris and Lance Lynn effect. Those things linger too. Calves and hammies tend to linger. Well, um, and so that'll be interesting. Well, the show's starting to linger too. So for Ryan <laughs> Turnquist and Tom Schreier and Eric Foster. Pushing the buttons. We didn't give him any love at the beginning of the show. But, hey, thanks for hanging out Midwest Swing. we got a couple fun things coming up here. So, again, thank you so much, Ryan. And uh, that's all we got for you. So, peace from Midwest Swing on the Zone Coverage Podcast Network.